Good morning. My name is not Garrett, but that's okay. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville on this beautiful day. Is this not gorgeous? We have a beautiful week. This is why we live in Texas. It's only for about eight days, and that's it. Actually, it's a few more than that, but when you live through the horrors of August and this summer, then you greatly appreciate today. So if you are not on a motorcycle, go buy one and drive it today. You can give it back at the end of the week, but uh, this is a beautiful day. So if you are not planning on getting outside, you need to do so. Um, When you get into your car, roll down your windows and drive home with your windows down. Hang your head out and stick your tongue out and enjoy the day. We just give the Lord thanks for such beauty that he's created and uh, we are blessed beyond measure, beyond anything that we deserve. If you are visiting with us this morning and you're from California, welcome to California too for one week. And um, because if our weather was like this all the time, we would be California, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you're visiting with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. There's a connection card underneath the seat in front of you. Just take that and fill that out. Uh, Just get to know what we do here. We'd love to communicate with you, uh, tell you about what's happening here at this church. If you've been going here for a while and want to get involved, you can do it through the card or just ask somebody, um, one of the staff or elders of the church. And to get plugged in, to get involved with what's happening with this church and the community, there are a lot of opportunities and would love to introduce you to one of them. Now I'm going to turn to our scripture reading, John chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. So CF is going through the book of John. We're on uh, 6, 7, and 8, 1 John 6, 7, and 8, or sorry, John 1, 6, 7, and 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for giving us so much that we don't deserve. Friends, family, loved ones, great weather today. Pray, Lord, that we will just bow before you, worship you, just dig into your word to understand it, that your spirit may move in us. Pray, Lord, that we'll be a light to this world each and every day as we get up and we just work and move and just be about the purposes of you. We just say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you would, take your Bibles and open them to John 1. We're going to look at part 1 of uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. It's going to be an introduction to John the Baptist is who it's going to be. And there's going to be a more extended discussion of John the Baptist in verses 19 through about 34, uh, right before he picks his disciples. We'll spend good portion of time looking at that, looking at who he was, but we're going to have an intro to him today and then follow that up next week with what was the basis for his mission. Mission's right there in front of you. He came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll take a look. Father God, we come this morning in prayer and we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love toward us, for the blessings of this life. And Lord, we just ask for your divine guidance as we come to this portion of the worship. Pray that you would uh, move our hearts and move our minds to receive your truth, to embrace your truth, that you would direct me as I teach your truth and keep me from error. Help me to explain it clearly and accurately that your people can receive it and put it to work in our life. And Lord, I'm thankful for this time and pray, Father, that through your word, they might bring comfort and strength to the lives of your people. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We begin this passage right here. He's shifting from verses 1 through 5 where he talked about the word and the word was God. The word was with God. He's always been there. He always will be. And he's shifting from that to John the Baptist. And so the way he begins that, he says, there was a man sent from God. And so that, that, that little phrase, a man sent from God, is to show that he's just a mere man. This is not a continuation of what was stated previously. There is no divine position with John the Baptist. He's just a regular run-of-the-mill person. He is a sinner, just like you and me, who is in need of God's grace. All right? And no matter how great a person may be, he's still a man. His life is but a vapor. James 4.14, all right? But yet Jesus said about him in Matthew, turn to Matthew 11, Matthew 11 and verse 11, he makes this statement about John the Baptist. He says, assuredly I say to you, Matthew 11.11, 11, assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He talks about John the Baptist and how great his earthly ministry was, but he says, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you're even greater than him. So as far as earthly people went, as far as earthly preachers went, there wasn't one better than John the Baptist. I mean, to have that title put upon you by the Lord Jesus Christ is quite an honorable title uh, to have upon you. But yet Jesus says, the kingdom and those that are with my father are even greater than that. So that's speaking of you and me as being a part of that. So he says he's just a man. The, the text that tells us here in John, go back to John 1. The text here in John 1, we looked at the fact that Jesus is the Word. 114 tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the beginning with the Father. He's always been there, and He always will be. He came to earth, but He came to earth as the only begotten Son of God. He's unique. He's different. John came to earth as a man. He's just a man. He's a son of a man, and he is a man is all he is. But the important part of that passage is what it says about him. There was a man sent from God. That, that little phrase, sent from God, centers on that word sent. 
And the word there for sent is the word apostello. Apostello means sent. It's a compound word. The prefix apo, apo, means from. The second half of that word, stello, means to send forth. So the word means to send forth from. What this is telling us is John didn't just think up the idea, I'm going to go out and tell people about Jesus. He was sent by God. He was sent for a specific purpose. And that word is used all over the New Testament. Matter of fact, that word is used 132 times throughout the New Testament. So it is a very popular word. And what I want to do this morning is look at some other usages, usages of the word to get a better understanding of it. What does this mean? John was a man sent from God. All right. He was sent from God for a specific mission. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, I want you to uh, take and put your, put your eyes on uh, verse 5, Matthew 10, 5. These 12, speaking of the 12 disciples, Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a, a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus is sending the 12 disciples out and he's sending them out with a specific mission. That specific mission is to go and preach the truth to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. There are basically three people groups on the earth at that time. Gentiles, Jews, and then you had Samaritans. Samaritans were a cross between Gentile and Jew. And those are the three basic people groups that existed in that time. And so in this passage, he's telling those disciples, I'm sending you out for a specific mission. We can see it also used in a parable. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, and we'll take a look at, the, at a parable usage of the word. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to begin in verse 1, Matthew 20 and 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. That, that little phrase, sent them. He had a specific task, a specific mission for them to do. They were even going to receive a wage for doing it. But the idea is they were sent by someone. So they have authority. They have a right to be in that vineyard because they've been sent by the landowner. The disciples had a right to proclaim the truth to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because Jesus told them to go do it. So they had authority to do that. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 10. We're going to see where he sends out the 70. Luke chapter 10 
And this is in preparation for him going to these cities. So he sends an advance party to those cities. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two. All right. Before his face in every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he sends them with a specific task, a specific purpose, a specific mission. Verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Used yet again. Send out into the harvest to do a specific work or to do a specific task. Um, and, and, and that's what John had. John was sent by God into the world that then existed. Now understand this. Malachi was the last prophet mentioned in the scriptures. And then when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he's the next one to come about. So it was a 400-year period, and God decides it's going to be John that's going to break the silence. It's going to be John that brings the word, brings the truth to the people. So John had a very special position in his relationship with God. You get through the Gospels and get into the uh, epistles, and you, you can find the story of Paul. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Go to Galatians chapter 1, and we'll see this same thing in the life of Paul. Galatians 1, and I want you to uh, look at verse 15. Galatians 1 and 15. It says, but when it pleased God. That's another way of saying in God's economy of time. When God determined this was such. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. So Paul looks at his life and he says, God separated me from my mother's womb. He had a task. He had a mission for me. He brought me to salvation, i.e. called me through his grace. And there was a purpose for that. Note what the purpose is. He said it was to reveal his son. You'll find over and over in scripture, and I'm gonna, we're going to wrap around to this at the end, but just keep this in mind. If God's purpose in salvation was just get us to heaven, we'd go to heaven. You understand? God's purpose in salvation is that we go also. That's what Paul said. I found God's grace and he called me for a purpose, and that purpose was to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So just like John is going to bear witness to that light, Paul says, I'm going to bear witness to that light. And in scripture, Paul is going to tell us, you're going to bear witness to that light. God calls all his people to go forth for him. And see, he gives you the authority. He gives you the power. And he gives you the message to go forth with. Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and look at verse 13. 
Romans 11:13. He says, "For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry." That word apostle is, comes from the same root of the word to be sent. And that's what an apostle is. They are a sent one or one that has been sent by God. And so Paul says in his passage, he says, I've been sent to you Gentiles. There's a purpose for me being here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want you to look at verse 13. Paul speaking of his ministry, and look how he refers to it here. He says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. See, he has a specific area of operation, a sphere. It is a designated area of operation that God has sent him to. He says, this sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we're not extending ourselves beyond our sphere, thus not reaching you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Paul speaks of his role as an apostle was, he was sent for a specific reason, a specific purpose, a specific task. John was sent for a specific reason, for a specific purpose, and for a specific task. And that was to bear witness of Christ. That's what his mission and purpose was. Let's go back to John and let's look at, his, at that passage again. And I want to look at something else in it. We've seen two things so far. Number one, John the Baptist was a man, but he was a man sent from God. So he's a man just like you and me. He has a special mission and task put upon his life by God, and his name is John. What's the significance of that? Well, the name John means God is gracious. That's what the name John means. So if you're here today and your name's John, that means God is gracious. That's what the name means. And I think about this. The Bible's big on having these little things that are tucked away in Scripture. And when you read it and you study it, all of a sudden it pops out to you. But God is gracious is going to present the one that is full of grace and truth. Think about that for a minute. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God is gracious, is going to show the world or proclaim to the world a magnitude of graciousness it has never seen. A world that is in darkness. And this man is going to proclaim that. John was unique from the very beginning of his life, a very special and unique person. If you will turn with me to Luke 1, and we'll look at his 
birth and all that came about, you can see the plan and purpose of God that is working through his life. I'm going to begin with verse five. Luke goes into great detail to explain all this. Now, remember, Luke was a doctor. And so he's, he's an edu very educated man, very smart man, but he's also very thorough. He was very thorough. Look at verse five. He said, there was in the days of Herod. Now, I can set the tone for that for you. You know, if you was watching a movie or something or a TV show, this is when the music goes, dun, 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 dun. You know, the days of Herod, dark, bad. What's testimony of Herod at the time of Christ? Killing all the babies in the land. A dangerous man, a selfish man, an evil man. And he's leading this nation. He is the ruler over that whole area that has what? The law, the temple, all the things pertaining to God are hovering under the evilness of this man. So there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So what's this tell you? Uh, this Zacharias and Elizabeth, these are the parents of John. They came from a priestly line. So God is going to bring John up out of a priestly line and the priestly line that John comes from is going to present the lamb to the world. You think about that. The way God takes these things and weaves them together. It shows you his beautiful plan as he presents the lamb of God to the world. Because that's the, when Jesus comes down the bank of the river Jordan, it's John that proclaims, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's what the priest did. The priest would present the lamb as a sacrifice to God. And so the priest is going to do it here too. It says, verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Two critical words, righteous and blameless. Now understand this, there is no person on the earth that has righteousness in and of themselves. There is no person on the earth that is blameless in the sense of not having any sin. So how could God put a title of righteous and blameless on two people? The key part is that middle part. It says walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. What that tells you is this. They were righteous in the sense that they kept the law fully. Because understand, folks, at this time in the New Testament, it's, it's old covenant. The Old Testament is reigning supreme. The temple is roaring. Activity is taking place in the land. And it's all under Judaism. It's all under the Jews. And so these two people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, 
are very faithful people in the faith. They are righteous in a sense that they do everything prescribed in the law to be right before God. And they are blameless in a sense that no one could point at Elizabeth or no one could point at Zacharias and point out sin in their life. They lived a holy life before God. So from human perspective, they were righteous and blameless, but you see a contrast. Look at verse seven, but. Now this, is a, this is a major contrast right here. It says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So what that well advanced in years means, they were past the childbearing stage of their life and they didn't have a child. In that culture, in that belief system, a person that was blessed by God would be blessed by God because they were righteous and blameless. Elizabeth and Zacharias are righteous and blameless, but they have no child. Childbearing was a sign of God's blessing upon you. So they don't have the external blessing, but yet they are righteous before God. But guess what? God's going to bring a child to them. They're past, miraculous thing that he does here. They're past the childbearing age, but he's going to bring them a child. And so it says, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. What's that mean? Well, the priest would sit there and they had to rotate duties. And when his lot fell, it's kind of like drawing straws. Who's going to do the incense this week? They would cast the lots. They said, okay, it's your turn, Zacharias. That's, that's all it means. It was his turn to do the incense. So there's no happens chance with God. Man casts lots, but God determines the outcome. That's what Proverbs tells us, right? And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zacharias is in the temple and all of a sudden this is what happened. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. You know what happened? He started shaking. He was so scared. He saw this angel standing there. He was terrified. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name. God is gracious. God is gracious to you, Zacharias. God is gracious to Elizabeth and God is going to be gracious to all of mankind through this person. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He's a Nazarite. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, folks, that's highly unusual in that economy, because until Christ announces it to his disciples in the upper room. He said, I tell you something new. The Holy Spirit will be with you and he will be in you. 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not something that happened to every person in that day and time. You'll see in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came upon the prophet, the priest, and the king or a judge, and that was to designate them for a special office. And so it's very clear John is being commissioned for a special service for God. And from the, from the time that he's conceived in his mother's womb, he's going to be filled with the Spirit of God. And look what it says, verse 16. He, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John's entering a dark world, folks. This is a world that's under control of Herod. The religious leaders of that day were corrupt and evil. The world that he lived in was a dark, dark, dark place. But Zacharias, who's past the age of childbearing, so is his wife. What's he doing? He's still praying, God, send me a son. God said, I heard your prayer, Zacharias. Tells you something about prayer. You don't stop praying, folks. You don't stop praying until you have an answer from God. And Zacharias still had that burden to pray. And so Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. In other words, what's he saying? I, I don't know if you can pull this off or not. That's what he's saying in essence right there. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. And here we got another contrast. Look at it. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Wow. That seemed like a pretty minor thing to sit there and say, how's this going to happen? Okay, you're not going to talk again. <laughs> that was quick. That's a quick, I mean, all, he just asked a question, but the angel said, that's unbelief, man. He said, you're going to be mute. So he takes away his ability to speak. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple. Oh, he saw one, all right. But he beckoned to them and remained speechless. You pick up the story. I want you to turn uh, over to look, look at verse 57. Verse 57. This is nine months later. Now, Elizabeth's full time for her to be delivered... And she brought forth a son. It says, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of the father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, No. He will be called John. 
See, they're all trying to get her to name him after his father. But she says, no, his name's going to be John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to the father doing sign language to him because he can't talk. What he would have called him. What are you going to call him? And he asked for his iPad. And he, it says writing tablet. And wrote saying his name is John. He's staying faithful to God. Doesn't matter what the people want. Says his name's going to be John. Well, that doesn't make sense. That's what God said his name's going to be. And, and I can promise you this. Zachariah isn't going to doubt God again. I promise you. He's already been through nine months of total silence. You can imagine what that was like with a pregnant wife. And he couldn't. I mean, you, th you think about it from a human perspective. That's a pretty good test and trial. Imagine his wife, man. What are you, you're not going to say anything about that? What's wrong with you, Zacharias? You can't. I mean, it's been a, whole, it was a rough old nine months for Zacharias, but he gets to the end of it and he said, we want to name him Zacharias. What do you want to name him? John. John. That's the only thing he's going to be named is John. Don't even think of another name. Put John down on there. Why? He's going to obey God. He's fully into this thing now. He's bought in all the way. But look what he said. Look at what else it says about him here. Follow this passage on through. It says, and immediately, verse 64, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Man, you think about that. 400 years, they hadn't heard anything. All of a sudden a prophet's coming and it comes to a miraculous way. Comes to a barren father and mother and the father is struck silent for nine months and speaks on the day of the birth of this son to speak about the greatness of what this boy is going to do. John had a, a miraculous birth. And you see God doing that at the advent of Christ coming onto the scene. And so you take these three things. John is a man. John is a man sent by God very clearly. And John's name means gracious because he's going to proclaim to the world the gracious nature of God. Amen. And he's going to proclaim this truth throughout the land. The first prophet to speak since Malachi, 400 years, folks, 400 years since they've heard the voice of a prophet. And it was foretold 700 years before his birth. Go back to the book of Isaiah and go to Isaiah 40 for a second. I want to show you something there. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 and look at verse 3. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before this event began, says, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God, and every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When he talks here about the rough places being made smooth and the crooked places being made straight, clearly he's not talking about a highway project. He's, talk, he's making an analogy to the spiritual condition of the world that he's going to come into. It's going to be bad. It's going to be dark. It's going to be full of wickedness and evil. And yet in the midst of that darkness, John the Baptist is going to come on the scene and begin proclaiming the Lamb of God has come. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's going to be out in the wilderness. He's not in the cities doing it. He's out in the wilderness doing this. And he's going to proclaim this over and over and over again. And in one day, that promised Lamb of God is going to come walking up on the scene. And that's why John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to undo the laces on your sandal. But nevertheless, because God told me to, I'll baptize you. And after he baptizes him, the Spirit of God descends on the person of Christ. John is fully aware of who he is now. Because he was told, you don't tell anyone who he is until you see the Spirit of God land him. He knew who he was. But just like his father lived in obedience, John is obedient to the call of God in his life. And John doesn't proclaim it until then because the next day it says, and the next day he saw Jesus coming down the river Jordan and he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He proclaimed him to the world. But yet this was prophesied 700 years before then. There's a parallel in this passage. You know what that parallel is? You and I are mere men. Whether you're a woman or a man, you're a mere human. Frail, damaged by sin, but yet redeemed by God. And you know what the scripture tells us? That just like John was a man sent by God, you and I have been sent by God. Paul said, God separated me from my mother's womb and set me apart to reveal Christ to the Gentiles. God has saved each person in there, each one of you that's a believer. God has saved you also, and he has sent you. Let's look at, some, let's look at a passage. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are now in the applicational stage of the message. 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. It says, now all things are of God. Meaning he's sovereign. He's over everything. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. See, what God does is, this is God and this is us. What he does is he reconciles us. He brings us back into right place with God. Brings us back to where we can be one with God. And how does that happen? Through the person of Jesus Christ. We receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we can be with God. Our sins taken away, that's taken out of the way. 
we get his righteousness, we're reconciled. We're back right with God. And verse 18 has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He tells us that we, note what Paul says there, Therefore, we, you people in Corinth and me, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? Ambassador is one that is sent from his native country into a foreign country to represent his native country. If I was sent as an ambassador uh, to Japan, I would go and I would live in Japan, but I would represent America. And so God says in scriptures that we are ambassadors for Christ. Where, where are we sent from? Well, when you came to faith in Christ, God seated you in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. According to Ephesians, you have a position with God that is eternal in the heavens. And yet God says we're to go back where we came from and represent the kingdom that we're from. See, we're not from the world. Though we was born here, we've been redeemed by God, and so we're in relationship with him, and we're back here on earth to represent his kingdom. And that's what we're called to do. And just like John was faithful to the call in his life, God expects each one of us to be faithful to the call that is in our life. God did not just save you to get you to heaven. God saved you so that others can see Christ through you. And it doesn't matter how, how bad your life was before Christ. That doesn't matter. A lot of people that have lived a very sinful life, my, my mindset is this, all people are equally sinful. It's just some bring it out better than others. If you know what I mean. I mean, they... When you're a sinner, your job occupation is to sin, okay? If you're in here this morning and you're lost, go sin. That's your job. Because living a moral life is no advantage. You're still going to hell. Because you don't get to heaven by being good. You get to heaven because God brings your spirit alive and his spirit comes to live within you. You're born again. That's what gets you to God. Because you can't get into heaven with your goodness. You can only get in there with God's holiness. And you and I don't have God's holiness. So God has to give it to us. So it doesn't matter where you come from in life. It doesn't matter how bad your life was. What matters is, what are you going to do with the new life God's given you? What are you going to do with that life? Are you going to hide it under a bushel? Are you going to live your life timid and ashamed because of what happened before Christ? Or are you going to be like Christ says, let your light shine. Be an ambassador for me. 
Let others see Christ in you. Because, folks, I'm going to tell you, God takes fallible, broken people and makes his own personal treasures out of them. Right there in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, we have a treasure in earthen vessels. What is that earthen vessel? It's our body. What is the treasure? The treasure is the presence of Christ. And so what God wants to see in our life, he wants to see Christ come out of this earthen vessel to be a light to others. Amen. Folks, we live in a day and age very similar to John the Baptist. Very similar. And you can imagine the opposition that John the Baptist faced, not just from the religious community, but also from the culture that he lived in. And it ultimately cost John. John's going to be beheaded because of his witness and testimony. He's going to be killed for what he did. But folks, you look at the ministry of John, and that ministry is still going today. You can kill the man, but you can't kill the message. Like Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill the body. He says, fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. That's who you fear. And so life is really a matter of you and me getting our priorities right. Are we going to live to serve ourselves and preserve ourselves? Because if we do, Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But he who loses it for my sake is going to find it. God wants the church today in the dark world that we live in to be a bright shining light. Because I'm telling you, folks, the world we live in today is without hope. They're without hope. They're lost. They're confused. And the problem to a great extent is the church is buying into that. The church is trying to stop being the light and trying to stop being the salt. They want to compromise and be like the world and accept the sin of the world and think that the power of God will rest and reside on that. And it won't. God will only bear witness to truth. He will only bear witness to that which comes from him. And each one of us in here has that in us. We have that. And God has called us to be ambassadors, to not represent this world, but to represent the kingdom, the kingdom of light. And see, you don't know when the words proclaim, you don't know what God's going to do with that in a person's life. But if you hide it, if you change it, if you alter it, it's not going to be effective. It's going to lose its power. I've always, since, since I've been a believer, I've always used this philosophy, and I learned it in the Marine Corps. Being in artillery, they taught us, they said, you just fire in amongst them and let God sort them out. Just kill as many as you can, and we'll sort them out in the end. And I thought, that's a great application to the Christian life. I'm going to just preach that gospel, let that light shine, and let God draw who he desires. That's all you got to worry about. Just worry about your part. Be faithful to the call of God in your life. Don't use excuses that the world puts on you to subdue the light. Be an ambassador. Live and represent the kingdom that you belong to. Be the salt. Be the light. 
Be what God has called you to be and let the power of God operate through you. And God will use that. Folks, I'm telling you, the world we're in now, they need it. They need it. And each one of you is in, in a different place. The university, your business, the community, your school, wherever it may be, you are God's ambassador for the kingdom of heaven where you are. And it is our responsibility, just like John was sent by God, you and I have been sent by God too. And God expects us to bear witness of the light. You're not that light, just like John was not that light. But you're called to bear witness of that light. Because if you're alive and breathing, God still has a purpose for you here on this earth. And I don't care how checkered or dark your past is. Because a lot of times, the darker the past, the more powerful the witness. Because you can see the change. Be an ambassador for him. John was a mere man. He had no special powers or anything else. But yet the power of God was on. Matter of fact, Jesus is going to even say later on in the story, John did no miracles. It's right before that passage. And he says, but if you'll receive this, of those born of women, there's not been a greater one than John. What made John so great? What made John so great is he kept the commission that God gave him to bear witness. And he didn't care what it cost him to do that. He did it, and he was faithful to do it. And God calls you and me to be the same. Let's pray. As you hear so often, God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And that plan and that purpose doesn't revolve around a job or who you're going to marry or something like that. Those are mere details. The plan and the purpose for your life and for my life is to bear witness of him, to be a light for him, to shine the truth of Christ in the world around us. And that's what God has called us to. Will you be that light? Will you be that person that God has called you to be? Father, my prayer is that we would be that light that we would fulfill that purpose, that we would be obedient to the call and commission upon us, and that is to be ambassadors for Christ. Father, my prayer is that each of us would do that, be found faithful to do that. I pray for each person before me today that your spirit would speak to their heart, wherever they may be, Father, and challenge them on their walk, challenge them on their life. Challenge each one of us, Father, Father God, we pray and we ask this of you. In Jesus' name, amen.